let me tell you something, big daddy from Cincinnati. I've been from Maine to Spain, and I've been deep down in the Ukraine. I've wrestled in Madison Square Garden in New York and went all the way to Holland. I got accused of spreading pollen, but that's how we created the hive. But you see, I've been north, south, east, and west. I've been from ocean to ocean, from coast to coast. But you know something? The podcast that I dig the most happens to be Once Upon a Turnbuckle and my friend Chris. So tune in and listen to them or you'll get stung. Yes, sir. You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new edition of Once Upon a Turnbuckle and I, I I always say my episodes are special but this one is extra extra special because this is a guest who you'll all know anyway but it's someone who I, I've been in contact with pretty much almost as long as I've had this show going and I'm so so pleased to bring him on. Wrestling royalty, the killer bee himself, Brian Blair, welcome to the show set. Chris, it's great to be on Once Upon a Turnbuckle with you, my friend. Um, you've um, uh, become a friend to me. Uh, you're a very kind individual. And uh, look back at some of your shows. Uh, you do a great job at interviewing people and getting the most out of them. So I'm really looking forward to the questions you throw at me. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've, been, I've been really building myself up to this one. I mean, this, this like I say, I th- going back to our messages, I think I found 19th of October 2020 was the first time we exchanged a message and we've been kind of building it up since that and it's I think we have picked the best time to do it as well because so much has happened that we can now talk about since oh, then yeah. as well so uh but um I mean first and foremost I'll bring it out I'll bring it out early truth be told incredible incredible book anyone who's watching this who hasn't picked one of these up yet go and get it um I couldn't put it down when I, when I, uh, when I started reading it. Um, you come from an era that I grew up with, but I didn't necessarily know everything about you, which is fantastic to then finally have this. And we'll talk about this a bit more, obviously, sure. through the course of the show. Um, what's happening with you? You know, how, how are you, basically? You know, you're, you're about as busy as I think you were back in your, your heyday, by the looks of it. Yes. And, you know, I had a setback for a while, Chris, um, uh, in July of, I had a back operation in July of uh, 2021. And I contacted what's called osteomyelitis. um, When a a surgical tube that drains the blood from your spine came out of my spine and I didn't realize it and uh, started to the restroom because uh, you walk after the very first day after back surgery and you have to have a walker of course mm. and they do like you to have a nurse but anyway I had to pee and so I felt a little pop in my back I didn't know what it was I got up and uh, started walking uh, I think I took a couple steps to the uh, yes towards the bathroom and then I came back and s- something told me to to like turn around back and I looked down and it looked like a chicken had its head cut off there was so much blood on the wow. floor and I didn't know where it came from and um so I went and sat back down on my bed and called the nurse's button immediately and the nurse came in and she looked and she was ah. and so naturally I went ah. 
and <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. You know, I'm feeling and looking and yeah. I don't have any holes in me. And I totally forgot that I have a, a drain on my back and that that's what it could be. But then I hear the nurse say, oh, I, it, it's your hemi. And uh, so, which means uh, my hemovac tube is what she was trying to say. Right. And so the tube had fallen out, drug across the ground, uh, sat back down, is laying on the floor. Well, the nurse picks the tube up and sticks it back in my back. And it took her a minute or two to get it back in my back. And then we had problems from there. It wouldn't stop bleeding for, you know, you're supposed to leave it in for five days. I think I took yeah. it out like the third day, maybe the fourth, uh, the doctor took it out. I didn't take it out. And, uh, um, the doctor came in the following day because it just wouldn't stop bleeding. I think from where she kept yeah. trying to poke it back in there. And well, uh, you know, a few days go by and I'm wondering, well, um, I didn't think that much of that particular incident at the time, although I was a little skeptical that she didn't, um, uh, disinfect it, but then yeah. I looked and figured while well, I'm on IV. So, you know, that, um, uh, the, um, antibiotic that they're giving me intravenously would probably take care of anything. So again, I just didn't think much about it. And, um, my, uh, I had kissed my oldest son, give him a hug and a kiss. And, uh, he told me he, we just got back from vacation, uh, down in the keys fishing, had a great trip. And, um, he said he'd be in to see me in the hospital and he didn't common I was getting worried about him and um, still didn't know what happened and right before I was getting out of the hospital I was feeling some some all of a sudden some kind of new pain and um, and I get home and uh, the first first day I get home I get a knock on my door and uh, it's two detectives and they tell me that my son had been murdered and it was the hardest news that I ever was the hardest thing that I ever heard in my life. And, uh, well, from there, uh, the pain kept getting worse and worse in my back. And, um, I thought it was because I didn't have a, um, a, <laughs> they give you a brace, like a turtle shell brace. So you can't move because this was my second back surgery. So I know the protocol and I called to get a brace and it's like, okay, it's on the way. Well, I never wound up getting a brace. That surgery was uh, July 16th, and I never got a brace until uh, July, August, until uh, September 1st. Wow. And um, I was hunching over and, you know, I had to go do my son's eulogy and mm. the most dire pain that I had ever been in. And I got, went to the emergency room a couple of times to find out what was wrong with the pain. They thought I had kidney stones. Um, just all kinds of things that that weren't yeah. until um, I my primary care doctor said you need to go get a, both a blood test and an MRI because I think you might have an, an infection and uh, sure enough uh, I had osteomyelitis and if you look it up there's you know like 30 percent of the people that get this die oh, wow. and so it was very scary so I had emergency surgery again on October 30th and um, so uh, it actually actually took my ability to walk I could not walk I, right. I all of a sudden I I, um, I was at home and had gone to the emergency room where they had after they MRI uh, disclosed the osteomyelitis and they put me on <clears throat> a pick line, which is uh, a line that goes to um, right by your heart and you actually do home IV. Okay. And um, I started that, but apparently it was kind of like too late. Um, and um, so the doctor, the pain was excruciating. All of a sudden I was paralyzed. I could not move from the waist down. Um, couldn't use the bathroom, couldn't do anything. I couldn't stand up. And so they rushed me to the hospital. I had emergency surgery on October 30th. And uh, with a lot of hard work, uh, um, 
some good therapists and uh, I think Dr. Small uh, who performed the surgery did a pretty good job. And I went from not being able to walk to progressing to a walker and then from a walker now to a, a cane. I can walk okay. with a cane, but it's, um, it's still a, a work in progress. And um, so I, I felt like Job, if you ever read the Bible, uh, you know, Job was, <laughs> he lost his family and lost his health. And so this all happened to me at one time, maybe not as bad as Job, but uh, <clears throat> certainly enough to, uh, to know that you're challenged and challenged beyond uh, <clears throat> a, a normal uh, person's strength, including mine. I mean, it was, it, it's been very, very difficult, but every day is a little brighter. Yeah. Every day is a little better. And um, <clears throat> I've been, I've kept all my, um, you know, all my obligations. I had to cancel a lot of autograph sessions and signings um, between the times, but uh, uh, I have some great staff at the Cauliflower Alley Club, so they kind of stepped up and picked up where uh, where I needed to because you know I have a passion for helping the yeah, wrestlers yeah. that fall on difficult financial times, and the Cauliflower Alley Club does just that. You know, we help lots and lots of people. I mean, it's amazing, guys that have made millions of dollars like yeah. Mr. Wonder, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. We don't say their names unless they give us permission, but Bobby the Brain Heen and Paul Orndorff, uh, um, uh, Kamala, just to name a few, yeah, you know, yeah. save, save their homes. And uh, that's what the organization does. And mm. uh, your listeners can go to caulifloweralleyclub.org. And uh, I don't know what it is overseas. I think it might be $50 a year okay. to join the club. And half of that goes to <clears throat> help the uh, wrestlers into the benevolent fund and the other half goes to mail you four copies of the newsletter cool. uh, that we do each year so it's a it's a great organization we have a reunion coming up in um in september uh it'll be our 56th reunion wow we've got some great honorees there um it's in vegas you can go again you can go to caulifloweralleyclub.org and everything's on the website cool. and uh, you can see all the wonderful honorees that'll be there we were just talking before we came on to this actually that i um i've always known the name the cauliflower alley club i never really knew what it did i mean i i i read reports of the um of the events that were put on and everything like that mm -hmm. so i thought it was almost like a hall of fame and it wasn't until i read your book um that i found out how amazing it is as an organization and what it does because i think people wrestling fans do forget that when your in-ring career finishes, especially if it doesn't finish when you want it to, you know, you, you may not have stability in your life. It's it is something that helps helps you live and helps you, you know, carry on and rebuild. And um, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's amazing. And the fact that you you're not only involved, but you're you're the chairman of the Cauliflower Alley Club. I'm, I'm actually the president and the president, CEO. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so it's... I stay pretty involved. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so, so that, that's sort of turned on its head actually, since we've come this way, because this is such a, an inspirational start, you know, the, I've not even had to ask you, you know, to talk about your in-ring career, which everyone knows you for, you know, just the fact that you've gone through all of that within the last couple of years, you know, that is life. That's thrown some very real, problems your way and you're you're still here and you're fighting it all and you're you're helping others as well let's let's talk about the cauliflower alley club how did it come about for you um your involvement through to obviously where you are now well let me just go back a little bit and tell you that the <clears throat> you, you and your listeners that the cauliflower alley club was established in 1965 by a gentleman by the name of iron mike mazurki and iron mike was both a movie star and a professional wrestler. And he was very famous in both jobs, both occupations. And um, he would gather at a, the Moose, I think it was the Moose Lodge in California. And they would have lunches. And the guy, a few of the guys would, were called runners. Mm -hmm. And all the guys would talk about the situation, financial situations of, of all the boys, because they wanted to make sure that everybody was feeding their families. Yeah. So Iron Mike 
who was making probably the most money of any of the wrestlers at that time. Um, maybe, you know, uh, Gorgeous George, uh, Wagner, um, Luthez, a couple others might have been making more, but he also had a, <clears throat> a dual income with his movies and he was co-star with John Wayne and a okay. bunch of movies. So he made a lot of money and yeah. um, he was a philanthropist. And so he would send wads of money to different wrestlers that needed the money. And that's how the Cauliflower Alley Club started. Now we're getting ready to have our 56th anniversary. It would, would be 57th, but we missed a year because of COVID. Oh, yeah, close. Yeah. And um, I started back uh, before the 49th, um, I mean, before the 50th, right after the 49th uh, reunion when um, uh, Nick Bockwinkle realized he was getting dementia. Okay. And um, uh, he, uh, along with Carl Lauer, who recently passed, God bless him, he was the CEO for 27, 30 years. Uh, Harley Race, they uh, were looking for somebody to take over the club that had some business acumen mm -hmm. and uh, was respected amongst the boys. And not only did I start Gold's Gyms in... Um, Hillsborough County in Tampa, the Tampa Bay area. Um, I started with one and built four and had the rights to seven and created the 1-800-99-GOLDS number, which was a switching number so that all the golds could put in a certain amount of money into a pool of advertising and you dial 1-800-99-GOLDS and it would route the caller to the nearest gold's gym so okay. nobody got cheated and everybody was happy so you know you have 14 clubs you put in 500 dollars. you have a seven thousand dollar radio buy sure. for example and uh you're only paying 500 dollars, and you're getting the benefit of a fourteen thousand dollar buy yeah. so it it just made us so successful um um it's public record. I wound up selling the clubs debt-free for $2.1 million. And um, uh, Steve Kern happened to be, uh, most people know Steve Kern. Yeah, uh, yeah. Doink, uh, Skinner, Skinner uh, yeah. fabulous ones. Uh, Steve's one of my best friends and he lives uh, not far from me. Ooh. And as a matter of fact, when I look over my lake, uh, the lake I live on, he uh, is exactly one mile due west and okay. he's he's the air flights he's right in the path of the tampa international airport they oh. fly over he's in a beautiful <laughs> neighborhood but all the neighbors have to wash the roofs every year because that gasoline the oh, petrol no. goes on. so uh, anyway uh we tease each other a lot and have a lot of fun we just were um in atlanta we, we were just in atlanta doing um the new vice tv series mm, cool. um that will air uh uh, this season, um, I had been on, um, you remember the uh, Dark Side of the Ring? Yes. So yes. there's a there's a new uh, series getting ready to start about the territories. Oh, wow. Many okay. People don't understand how the territories worked, who were who was popular, all the different questions about the territories. So yeah. Vice has put together uh, uh, groups of individuals that have the most knowledge of certain territories. Mm. And uh, for example, they do Florida, they'll do uh, New York was a territory, Mid-South, Tennessee, yeah. you know, Portland, all, all over the states. And um, of course we had many English wrestlers um, uh, and I got to be friends with, with lots of them, Les Thornton. Um, Les Thornton was a, was a fun guy, but just, just many, 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 uh, you know, of course, Davey Boy Smith, uh, yeah. Davey and I were really good friends and uh, Tommy Billington and Dynamite. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we had some tremendous matches with the Hart Foundation. Um, with, uh, you know, the entire family is so talented. The Hart yeah, I just, just got through reading uh, another friend of mine written a book about the, um, the Bulldogs and sort of going a bit more behind the scenes and some of the stuff that we probably wouldn't have known with the help of the families and that. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing yet tragic story. I think a lot of them up there, yes. you know, they're so, so talented, taken too soon. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. But um, 
um, anyway, the territories were a lot of fun and uh, it was better. It was great with the territories because you could like wrestle in Florida for a year, then go to say Mid-South for a year and go to Georgia, but you would learn from so many different people and so many different styles. Yeah. Um, wrestling every single night. I mean, sometimes uh, twice on Sunday and two and three times for television. Mm -hmm. So you'd wrestle anywhere from seven to 10 times a week. And uh, it was a way to get a lot more experience than the um, talent does today um, because they don't have as much opportunity. You have independence shows or you've got AEW, WWF. I mean, there's, there's actually 10 different television shows on uh, U.S. television wow. from uh, NWA. Um, they have Lucha Underground, yeah. um, and uh, you know, and of course, like I mentioned, AWA. Uh, uh, I mean, AEW, yeah. uh, WWE. Um, a lot more than I grew up with. Right, a lot, a lot more. A lot, people are a lot more spoiled these days, I think. Yeah, so just the business has changed. It's morphed. It's a different business, and. Um, you know, you wouldn't, it, it, when, when I was in my prime working in the territories and even going to WWF slash E, um, we, we listened to the crowd. There were no script writers or nothing. Everything was done on your own. It was all your own cre- creativity for the most part, other than some of the angles and things like that. But now it's like uh, guys are doing the same matches all over the place and we would never yeah. be, just listen to the crowd and you know if they're buying chain wrestling why give them anything else you know there's no sense in pulling out the uh tables and chairs <laughs> if they're you know into the no. chain so it's uh it's been a tremendous uh observation and education to watch us morph from the territories to the yeah. national scene where we are now that's it's, I'm, I'm really really I'm excited i know this is the first i've heard about it but it's the territories is is something i've only really learned about i would say in the last sort of 10 or 15 years so i i i've not followed the current product for about that long yeah i think i think i think the fans are really going to enjoy yeah the education and the fun uh yeah. and the pure entertainment that they're going to get because of the talent that's on these you, episodes you you talk so much about it in your book and i think a lot so many of the stories that i loved from it were from those days because it's an era that i didn't experience firsthand but uh, it's similar to uh, scott casey i spoke to him last year and i've read his book as well and it's from the same sort of era and there's so many right. so many road stories that i think you you'd miss out on these days you know, Correct. I don't know if these experiences still happen. The, the the guys in the business now have the same experiences you guys have, but it's it... no, it's it's changed a lot because mm-hmm. the laws have changed, things have changed. You know, we used to uh, do a lot more of our traveling in a car, so it yeah. was like, uh, you know, everybody was drinking uh, beer or wine and um, um, or smoking pot or, <laughs> you know, it's just, it just was. The, you knew every song to every yeah. tape that was put in and everybody would sing the songs together and used to have to pay trans. For example, it was a nickel a mile. Let's say if you went from Tampa to uh, Tallahassee, it was mm-hmm. uh, 400 miles. So um, you'd be uh, 800 miles round trip. So whoever, whoever drove, you better have your $40 yeah. ready to pay for your trans. Yeah. Um, or if you drove, the other people would pay you trans. So it was uh, interesting and um, guys were very good that, you know, you never had to ask anybody for their transit. It was automatic. You know, I learned that right from the very beginning. You just hand the person, you know, how many miles it is, you hand them the money and and that's it. And uh, did you have any favorites, any, any of the best traveling um, buddies you had and sort of any of the worst ones? So people that you favored and people that you would sort of try to stay away from. Well, um, I, I, I had a lot of fun early with the Briscoe brothers, with Steve Kern, Jimmy Garvin, mm. Don Morocco. Um, those were my primary Florida traveling, traveling buddies. And, and then as I moved on, uh, you know, each territory, you wind up with new buddies. Um, when I was in uh, 
the uh, uh, Kansas City territory, which happened to be my least favorite of all the territories because the miles were long and the pay wasn't that okay. good. Uh, I would ride with Jesse Ventura all the time and we had adjoining apartments. Um, and, you know, we had a great time for six, nine months together and had a little dog named Arnold. And when you ride with Jesse, you, um, I've always been a listener, but I was even more of a listener because Jesse would rock like this. He'd stick a dip in his tongue underneath there and he'd just uh, talk and talk, Chris, until, I mean, he'd talk so much. I I was interested in his stories. Yeah. I'd just listen once in a while. I'd ask him a question, but it was always about Jesse, but that was cool. That's you know, cool. I, I like that. You know, yeah. I, I had enough experiences in my life by this time that, you know, most of them I wanted to put behind me, as sure. you know, from reading the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I had no idea what the future would hold. You know, I had no idea that I would someday be a successful business owner, that I would someday be a, an elected politician in um, a, a county with uh, one and a half million people um, running in a countywide race to give you, to put that in to um, uh, scope it would be like running for governor of 10 other states, 11 other states, wow. because there's okay. more people in Hillsborough County than there are in 11 other states. Wow. And there's more people and there are square miles are about the same size as uh, Rhode Island. Okay. So that's amazing. A, it was a, that's... an experience, big experience. Yeah. And then from there to Cauliflower Alley Club to uh, um, just, I picked out some great spots. I had a wonderful career in Japan. Um, and uh, for the IWA, um, which a lot of people didn't hear of, um, it was a great, great promotion to work for. It was on the weekends only. They were all sold shows. Uh, this was after I left uh, Vince. Yeah. This was like in 1990. And then um, um, the UWF came along with Herb Abrams. And yes. uh, that was interesting for a while. We had some really good talent there. So I was fortunate in a fortunate to be able to you know travel and you know see all these places to be in the first wrestlemanias two three four to be in the first uh, survivor series the first royal rumble the first overseas tours all yeah. that stuff and even before vince was atlanta where the ted turner tbs cable experiment first started and we would go into see all the territories had respect and wouldn't go into each, all the promoters wouldn't yeah. go into each other's territories. They'd have a meeting once a year that usually happened in Vegas mm -hmm. and Vince senior would come down. All the territory owners would meet, they'd pick out who was going to be the world champion. Uh, they'd barter some days to use the WW, uh, WWWF champion uh, or uh Harley Race or whoever the yeah. champion, Jack Briscoe, whoever was a champion, then would get some dates in WWWF. Vern Gagne from AWA would come in. Mm -hmm. And so everybody had a pack. But now we go to, um, to TBS, uh, to Georgia territory in 85, um, Tito Santana, um, uh, Tommy Rich, um, the Freebirds, myself, um, um, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, talent, Tony Atlas. Uh, we went into places like Wheeling, West Virginia, where Eddie Farhat, the Sheik, technically that was his territory, but he was never running it. Um, and then we went into the Columbus, Ohio, and off the cable, all of a sudden it was huge. It was yeah. humongous. I remember we went into Dayton, Ohio, into O'Hara Arena, and there were more people outside than there were inside. And it was just... A, how do you business. prepare for something like that? You know, you, you realize how much it's blown up. You know? Well, you know, it's like people ask me about WrestleMania three, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, a lot of people say was the best WrestleMania of all time. Well, it was certainly one of the biggest for a long time. It was the biggest. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You go out there in a pair of modified underwear on a modified golf course cart. Yes. Yeah, you're wheeled out in front of a uh, hundred thousand people. 
doesn't count the people. That's just the people inside, not yeah. the people watching on pay per view and yeah, the, yeah. the videos that come out and you know the legs that it has is yeah. unbelievable. The amount of people that have seen that, but uh, it's a little scary. It's a yeah. little. Uh, it'll yeah, get it, your it, nerves when when you're in the room say you know take wrestlemania 3 for example because you know i don't think many crowds have rivaled that around that time um do you do, are you aware that there's that many people in obviously i've imagined it's noisy but when you're in the ring doing what you need to do are you taking any of that in or are you just trying to just concentrate yeah actually i did because chris I, what i did is before the show i went up to the press room which was way up in the uh pontiac silverdome and I looked down and I, I couldn't even recognize, I knew the ring crew guys that were putting the ring together and stuff, yeah, but yeah. I couldn't recognize who was who. And I thought to myself, wow, who would want to sit way up here? And yeah. you know, why would you spend this much money for a ticket yeah. uh, to sit way up here? And even though they have the big monitors mm. where you know, once yeah. those are up, you can see a lot better. But uh, to me, that's almost like watching it on TV. I exactly. I, I, yeah, when I go to one of these shows, I want to be as, as close as I can to... to you know, but, you know that I'm there, yeah. But yeah. then I realized when I went out there and you asked me, take, did I get a chance to take it all in? Mm. And I say yes, because I, the first time I, I looked at the crowd all the way around and I, I just kind of took it in and I thought about being up there. And then I thought, now I know why people are here because there was more electricity in the air right, that it right. just had your uh, goosebumps all yeah. over you because everybody was into every single motion and everything that happened, every high spot, every word, and they all reacted in, in unison. It was, it was a beautiful you're, time. You're part of something, you know, you're part of something, don't you? When you're amongst that many people all there for the common cause. So yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. So you play the guitar, Chris? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of self-taught. I um I, I don't tend to play much outside my house. I would like to, but, yeah, <laughs> nice. a bit a bit of confidence here and there, that's the thing. But yeah, yeah, I like to noodle around. So yeah, I, 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 I actually played in a band at one time. I played the drums oh, okay, <clears> and, cool. uh, in my younger days, and uh, I remember um, the Nasty Boys and Brady Boone and I went into we went to Malaysia and Singapore. And there was a little bar there and we we went into this bar and I don't know how this happened, but all of a sudden we're, we've got all the instruments <laughs> back there and, and that bar went crazy and we were That's just brilliant. playing a bunch of gaga that uh, <laughs> they we didn't care. Really. It's just you up there. That's, that's, that's fantastic. It, that's it's nice. fun when, you know, you can go into uh, yeah. different places like that and the people are so happy to see you that you know anything you do is okay mm. like they're happy they just want to see what you're gonna do what's the what's the culture like because i was going to touch on your um your stint in japan and actually obviously the obvious question i suppose is back then what were the biggest differences in styles and the culture of wrestling abroad compared to america um but compared to other countries you 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 know wrestled in as well Oh, that's a great question, Chris. And it really depends on whether you're wrestling their people or whether you're, it's a tour where you're just wrestling Americans. Because if you're just wrestling other Americans, it's or in, guys from England, I call it anybody that can speak English. Yeah, uh, yeah. English speaking people, I should say. If you're there with English speaking people, it's um, um, pretty simple, you know. Um, but then I was in Russia in 1993 on a tour that the Samoans promoted and Bam Bam Bigelow and I took turns because we were in Moscow for a week mm -hmm. and we wrestled their Olympic champion, you know, the shoot Olympic gold medalist. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, Bam had a little bit of amateur, I had the most amateur uh, experience, but you know, here I am weighing 230 pounds and this guy's 300 pounds and so. Uh, anyway, the matches were good. Uh, it's the first time I ever saw corruption uh, at a high level. The, we, when they took us into the airport, in um, <clears throat> when we came in, flew into the airport, landed in Moscow, they took us into a building with no windows, gathered our passports, which you're not even supposed to let your passport out of your hand, but um, AFA 
Afa and Sika, the Samoans. Afa came up um, and said, hey, we need, I need your passport. Um, and of course I gave him my passport, um, made him promise that he was gonna protect him. Yeah. And uh, we sat in this room for 30, 40 minutes with no windows and it was, it was a little scary, you know? Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden somebody comes in and uh, dressed in a suit, he's talking to Afa, a few doors open up, a light comes in and uh, we're all escorted out into these black uh, SUVs, the kind right. that you see in uh, uh, movies and stuff yeah. for uh, the politicians. Yeah. And uh, everybody's got every two people. Ken Patera was my roommate, the world's strongest man, Ken Patera. He was my roommate in Russia. And um, we had a bodyguard and we called him Arnold. Because of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger was yeah. big then. And uh, he had that accent and um, he was big and muscular and turned out to be such a wonderful guy i mean there were so many wonderful people on that russian tour just the people themselves were yeah. were brilliant and um but uh we had to then you know adopt at least bam bam and i did to wrestling this russian guy without being able to speak much to him i mean we could right. speak to him but there was no time to go in the ring and work on things yeah. and, so you know it was uh it was a challenge and then you know other times you'll you'll go like when you go to japan you know you wrestle the japanese um and they have a, a completely different style than the americans yeah. do for the most part and i wrestled for new japan pro wrestling many 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 times that's been over a year and a half of my life there and uh, i enjoyed japan a lot uh as a matter of fact they turned me babyface in Japan, um, which was fun for two of my tour, two of my uh, 20 some odd tours there. But a couple of tours, I was a baby face, which was good. So I could wrestle the American guys yeah, yeah. and uh, have a Japanese guy as my tag team partner. So it'd be fun because I'd go chop the crap out of somebody. <laughs> uh, one of the American guys and the Japanese go, oh, it's high. Oh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great. Uh, it's, uh, uh, was that you were in Japan? Am I right in thinking shortly before your move to the WWF? Um, uh, yeah, actually, Vince Senior was the one that sent me to Japan the first time. See, I worked for Vince Senior on two different occasions before I um, came back as one of the Killer Bees, mm. and you know that was a lot of fun. The mm. uh, territories, the Florida tape went into new york so it was great for me when i got to new york um the people already knew me and yeah. uh, so it was a lot of fun and uh, there was there was a lot of good matches you know that um with uh, so many with morocco and orton and uh, mm. adrian adonis and uh, dick murdoch and paul mr wonderful orndorff one of my yeah. favorite opponents of all time and one of my best friends of all time. Yeah. Um, we had a, just a, a really great chemistry together. Yeah. And we would really lay them in. I mean, that was like a dog fight. When Paul and I wrestled, you absolutely felt it the next day, right. the next week. So because you're such close friends, which I know, you know, again from your book, I, I realized sort of how close your bond was with, with Paul Orndorff. You, you trust them more, I guess, in the ring. You can probably do a lot more. Um, I, I wouldn't say sort of convince the fans it's real, but I mean, would they have guessed that you were, you know, you hate each other in the ring, but outside of it, you you know, you're best of friends. And that, that's testament to how good you were together in the ring. And Paul and I worked so many times and didn't mind because we grew up in the dungeon where it was brutal in Tampa under Matsudo, which you read in the book. Yeah. Um, out of over a hundred people in three summers that I was there that came in to wrestle uh, or to train to be wrestlers, the only three people that made it were Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, um, Hulk Hogan, and myself. And the rest left, almost all of them left without their clothes, screaming in the streets, just get me out of here. Because it, it was really brutal. So we were used to taking a lot of 
punishment. Paul was a football player. I played football. You know, we've always been rugged guys and we respected each other enough to know that if we hit each other, you know, it's strictly for the fans and to make the match even that much better. And so, I mean, we'd lay it in. I remember in Boston garden one time I had Paul down. Well, first before that, uh, Dick Worley, Boston's the number one, uh, heel fan or bad guy fan, uh, arena that I remember. And before the match, somebody had threatened to kill me. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you still have predominantly probably there you have maybe 25% bad guy fans, but you still have 75% good guy fans. Yeah. And uh, Dick Worley is giving us our instructions and all of a sudden I see this something whiz past my eye and it freaked me out. I didn't know who it was gonna hit and it was so fast and sounded like an explosion and somebody had thrown an elbow pipe. And if it would have hit one of us, we'd be dead. Yeah. Because it hit the wooden barricade and went right through the wooden barricade. And a couple minutes later, I've got Orndorff down in a, a arm bar. And I remember seeing this shiny thing zip past my face. And I looked down and at the same time, I hear Paul go, ah, son of a bitch. And he grabs his mouth and uh, his two spent back and there's oh, no. blood just pouring from his mouth. And I look and there's a miniature alcohol bottle, like a vodka bottle or a gin yeah. bottle. Somebody had thrown that and hit him right in the mouth. And after that, Paul started beating the crap out of me. I said, Paul, I didn't throw the freaking bottle. I didn't throw the bottle. Then loosen up. Team. That was, you know, oh, that was a brutal match. I bet. You, you, I mean, you get a lot of, I think the, the, the fans are a lot more split. I mean, since like the attitude area, you can get away with more as a heel. You get over a lot more with the fans than, but I, I suppose back then, it was probably it, it was a bit of an oddity having mm. that amount of people kind of you know trying to cause trouble i suppose yeah um, yeah yeah it was uh it was really uh interesting times and mm. um and again it's just great to to reminisce to think about yeah. all that stuff and yeah it's uh it's, it's, it's obviously I, I i would be doing you an injustice i think by not talking more about the killer bees while we've got you um, I think the one thing, personally, looking back on that era, the one thing the WWF were doing right, I think wrestling as a whole were doing right, was the tag team division. Um, there came a time when it didn't seem to matter, you know, midway through the 90s and beyond, tag team wrestling wasn't, didn't seem to mean as much as it used to. Um, when they put you two guys together, because you'd predominantly been uh, solo up to that point, you know, right. what, what was what was your kind of reaction to to having a fully fledged tag team partner and a gimmick to go with it you know thinking that this is this is like the real deal not just a pairing for a couple of matches what was, well, what was your take on it? it it was um i was the florida heavyweight champion and i knew i was going to come back because i had talked to <clears throat> vince and uh when i left uh the second time to come back to florida they wanted me to come here for a year or so um, and come back and, and compete for the, uh, but to compete for the Intercontinental Championship belt. And uh, uh, I uh, was waiting on that phone call and I get a call from, from Hulkster and he says, um, Vince wants you to um, come up if you don't mind. Um, and uh, there's a guy named Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, uh, he asked me if I knew who he was. I said, I saw him in magazines and knew that he was one of the high flyers with uh, Greg Gagne uh, in the AWA. And of course, Terry was there and Vince had cherry picked all the top talent yeah. uh, from the territories to mm -hmm. start WWF slash E. And uh, Terry wanted to put us together. He said, Vince is building a, going to build a real tag team division. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll come on one condition. Um, and uh, we have to be the champions yeah. at some point. Mm. Um, and because I was wanted to be the intercontinental champion, <clears throat> I don't want to go there. So anyway, of, of course, that was a promise. Went there. We got over big time. Uh, we were ahead of the time. We were ahead of our times. I mean, with mass confusion, with the mask. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, it's not something... 
not something know, a babyface team would do you know that kind of well thing. you know a, a guy named billy red lions gave us that idea because he said you guys are about the same size and he said you know we i did it with a, my brother um billy red lions is from canada and he said he did it with his uh brother or his working brother when they were a tag team and it got tremendous heat and he said I wonder if that would work on baby faces. Yeah. If the, I said, I think it would if the heel got enough heat. The, yeah. the audience wants you to do, the fans want you to do anything you can, fight fire with fire. Yeah. And um, so I really liked that. And I kind of talked to Jimmy about it. He was kind of so-so and finally he was cool. So we had the mask made. And uh, I tell you, the first time we did that, the people came on glued yeah. I, I thought we did it to the heart foundation and i yeah. mean they came unglued and so mass confusion was born and then we you know uh started the nike tennis shoes and yes. it, it, the young bucks claimed not too long ago that they were the first ones ever to use it to wear tennis shoes in the ring <laughs> sean waltman was very quick x-pac was very quick to send him a picture of uh the killer bees in tennis shoes from <laughs> ah, several locations you, you know so yeah back in your box, in guys. Bubble. but we were you know we were kind of ahead of the, the time uh in a lot of ways and um uh jimmy had a lot of heat he had sued vince twice i didn't know this uh when we got together and uh while we were there he got in a lot of arguments with vince and you know even though we were promised the uh the tag belts uh we were promised yeah. the, the tag belts on three occasions mm. and um um, they even have in some of our action figures that the WWFE put out, we have the tag belts. And for some reason, um, he had also been fired by George Scott. <laughs> it was just kind of the, I didn't realize all this stuff had happened. And George Scott was the booker then. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of things that, um, he wasn't helping your cause that wasn't helping us right, um, uh, with the belts. And so finally, um, I told Vince after the third time they promised the belts to us, I said, I've, you know, Vince, I appreciate it. Uh, this was in Salisbury, Maryland. It's been a, a great time. Um, and um, I just want to leave on good terms and yeah. uh, go start a business. And he tried to get me to stay and I left, started Gold's Gyms and mm. you know, continue to wrestle and it is what it is. Do you, do you have an idea looking back on it if you were to have carried on you know from if your career had carried on past the point that you left whether you were single single or the, the bees were still together do you have anyone there that you you wanted to work with in a program in a feud or a pay-per-view or anything that you didn't get the chance to yeah i would have liked to work with brett uh in singles matches yeah. uh you know when he had the belt uh yeah. brett and i had a uh, uh, great chemistry together, uh, same psychology, same work ethics. Um, and Brett says the same thing all the time. And, um, and of course I was young enough to do uh, another 10 years. Um, but, um, you kind of, after wrestling, God, Chris, we, we wrestled 67 days in a row one time without a day off. Wow. We were in five different countries, 67 days in a row. And here we wind up and we're in Australia. And um, I hear Jimmy talking to his wife and he's missing his young children's yeah. kindergarten graduation. And uh, a lot happens. And they, you know, the tears and I'm thinking, golly, this is, oh, I felt so bad for Jimmy. And Ah, it's uh, it's a big sacrifice, you know. Even though uh, you know, there's a lot of fun on that Australia tour. George Thorogood, and they, he, such a wrestling fan. We brought him down to ringside, and then he, him and Los, Los Lobos took Brunzi and I out. And, oh, that was a brutal night. But uh, <laughs> uh, gives you memories. But yeah, like yeah, say, it's, a it's so much fun being able to go to all these different countries and experience all the different experiences yeah. that you get to experience yeah. a lot of fun yeah. but you know again uh, we're talking about my book truth be told <laughs> I have there you go. <laughs> and uh you can actually get this on amazon uh or you can go to the killer beast 
uh, .net, thekillerbees.net, and uh, you can get an autographed copy ah, uh, for only $10 more uh, shipped to you. And um, um, I, I, a lot of the stories, um, you know, I won't tell a lot of the stories that I could tell because I want people to read the I, book. Yeah, same here. I, I, we could have done the whole show where we go through your career. I would have quite happily done that but no give give people the uh the the reason to to go out and buy it you will not yes it. yeah because i promise everybody i tell everybody if you buy if you buy my book uh our book i should say ian douglas was a tremendous um co-author and uh he uh, he's done uh, bugsy mcgraw's book um brute power yeah. um he did uh um and dan sevens well, as well I think. he's done several books and yeah. um um anyway he he's great at weaving the stories together and <clears throat> i give him all the stories and he weaves them all together and mm. and it's 100 percent the truth that's why it's called truth be told yeah. you know because he had to go back and look and check and talk to people and be a sherlock holmes i even call him sherlock sometimes <laughs> ask him how in the heck did you find out that information but he's got a way of doing it and that's fantastic so we uh put this book together and i tell everybody that you know if you buy the book if you don't like it i'll give you two times your money back <laughs> and that's the truth that's i mean, a good guarantee. I'll, I'll gladly right. give anybody two times their money back if they do yeah. not i i i challenge I, I challenge anyone to 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 go through it and, and not um and not enjoy it you know i i said when i reviewed it and i wasn't just saying this um you know because i was talking to you at the time but it is i've read most of the, the 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 big ones that are out there and and this this is by far one of my favorites because it tells tales of a time that i i love to look back on because i i didn't know anything about it when i was growing up mm. i lived through the late 80s 90s i knew what was going on you know it's fun to hear the backstage and everything but the territory days is something that i really was that i really am interested in now and in finding out more and there's no better way to find out more than through someone like yourself who lived it you know but uh whose, whose idea was the book was it something you always wanted to do or was it something you were asked or suggested oh, to you i had been it took me almost two years to write the book and um i just wanted to write a book that would um kind of let people understand what the territories were like uh what we did um give them an honest um some honest humor some honest information um just uh stories that people maybe had never heard before that they might be interested in um you know how i grew up and became a, a wrestler and um uh, where i came from i think that um you know there's it's meant to be inspirational as well yeah. so that I, I came from very humble humble beginnings as you know chris and it, it doesn't matter you know we're we're in a country where if you apply yourself you know if you um despite all the bs that you hear on the media you know it doesn't matter it's all yeah. fake news uh it's uh an opportunity to you can be what you want to be and um, i'm sure the same is in england you know if you have a burning desire to be successful then you can be successful i mean yeah. if you're gonna sit on the couch all day and eat doritos not <laughs> being successful aren't real big but if you get up in the morning and apply yourself yeah and you learn little things how to save a dollar here i try to give some good little hints about a couple things and yeah that's it's 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 um I think it is inspiring to be able to pick up a book from someone who's gone through so much. And like I say, you know, all the things that you, you build up to your career, the early days, the bright lights, the, you know, the WWF, and then what happened after that and how you, you almost reinvent yourself along the way. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just about who you are in the ring. It's, it's you are conscious of, of having more, you know, and, and here you are, you know, like I said, at the top of the show, like you were, uh, sort of updated us on, on what you faced recently it's you can't help but be inspired so. yes I, I have strong faith that's what gets me by every day i have a lot of faith um and uh a lot of energy you know just um and, and a strong desire to help 
to help everyone. I mean, I've <clears throat> when I ran for politics here, I didn't realize I had the most community service hours of anybody that had ever run for politics from really? coaching baseball and speaking in schools to coaching football wow. to coaching wrestling to um, so many speeches and different charities raising money for different charities. And I, it just has always been a part of my DNA to give back, you know, to help yeah. those that need a hand up. And yeah. that's why the the CAC fit so well mm. with me is I have a passion for helping other people. Yeah. Um, other people helped me or I would never have been successful. I mean, you have to help yourself, but also there's people along the way that'll yeah. they see that you're working hard and that you, you know, there's a value in that. And yeah. people can use that to their advantage while it's actually helping you at the same time to become more prepared for your future. And whether you call it karma or, you know, fate, whatever it is that you believe in, I suppose. You mm -hmm. know, yeah, good goes round if you put it out there. But uh, there's there's a couple of things before I, I go on to, to um, a, a couple of other things that I, I know that you've, uh, you've got to talk about um, that you've got going on at the moment. Some specific kind of memories here. I, I just wanted to share. This is the same one that I opened up with Scott Casey about. It's just... And, uh, you are part of my early one of my earliest memories of wrestling um the first event the first video i was ever given was survivor series 88 and it's ironic really because you weren't there but the reason you always stuck there is because the uk release of the video still had you listed on the back um so i grew up for quite a while thinking you and scott casey were the same person <laughs> because oh. when he came to the ring it's got casey but on the cover it's brian blair so i was like oh he must have just changed name ah. and, uh, so uh so that's and, interesting i didn't know that survivor series um but it, it holds a, a very the first couple hold a very special you know place in my heart really because that's really where i started as a fan and you had a big part to play in the very first survivor series that you, you mentioned earlier on and one of my favorite ones, and I wish they carried it on, and I kind of, um, I can probably see why they didn't, was the 10-team concept where you've got 20 guys around the ring, and that's what you were part of in that first one. Yeah. I've heard guys, I've read interviews about how difficult that was. I really want to get any memories or your take on that. You know, was it difficult to kind of get around and perform properly? It was, it was difficult because we had to wrestle um, a few times, and you had to be rather than preparing for one match and giving it your all you had to prepare for a few matches and give it your all and yeah. uh, so it, it um, as far as that goes it was much more difficult mm. uh it was very rewarding at the end to be at the top of the heat but yeah uh, um it was a lot it was a lot of work that yeah. survivor series that <laughs> one was brutal so if guys, you couldn't really run the ropes particularly in the in the early bits because you just got guys everywhere so you everywhere. Can't, especially you you know you guys the bees you, you you did a lot of flying around and you probably sure. couldn't do a lot of that yes it's, yeah uh, yeah i couldn't do a lot of flying not not till the end a little bit at the end that's it you kind of open up at the end don't you yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah you've got to kind of you know you guys were, were really i mean that was a big sign that there should have been more things to come for you guys you know that you're putting you over in, in a match like that oh yeah i mean we, we were the absolute hottest tag team on yeah. the at one time and yeah. i just knew that i mean we were all ready to get the belts mm. and all of a sudden george scott had come in at the last minute change the finish oh we're not going to do it tonight vince uh vince and i think that there's we still have more money in the chase. Mm. Uh, so you, you know, your heart yeah. sink down, you know, to your stomach and think, wow, you know, I'm working so hard for, um, mm. and know that they actually, the powers that be make us the champion. Mm. But at the same time, I go out there not for them, but for the fans. Yeah. And I want to make sure that I'm giving the people that support us, that watch television, that mm. come to wrestling, I want to give them what they want. And they wanted us to win the tag team championships yeah. in the worst way. I mean, mm. you get all tons of fan mail and 
you know, they motivated us. Mm. And um, it's uh, it's a shame that that never happened. He and, had some great you know, We had to go to the UWF to win the World Tag Team Championship. Yeah. Yeah, you had. It wasn't even like that. You you wouldn't have had competition. You know, you could still. You would have had the Heart Foundation. You still could have worked with. And Demolition had come through. And oh, you yes. know, there was there was definitely depth to that division. Um, they they did it once, didn't they? I think I read the Rougeos won the title at a house show, and then they just didn't acknowledge it, and they they put the belts back anyway. They 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 almost seemed to want to have that switch. Um, yeah but someone's like they, they, they are no nerves or something it doesn't make sense from a fan's point of view why they never went with it mm, there we go. That's true. but one thing we are getting now that i i think i would have absolutely loved back then is i know um the classic superstars the, the jacks uh, action figures have got you guys out there it's the killer bees but we're finally getting some new killer bees figures out uh courtesy of cello toys i believe that's right, Cello Toys. Uh, yeah. What a great company. Um, uh, Jimmy and I just uh, signed a deal with Cello Toys, so we have new action figures coming out, and um, these are the best action figures I've ever seen. Yeah, awesome. They're I modeled mean, they're, on the Hasbro. They're so real-like. Yeah. It's amazing. I've never seen uh, action figures this. Not only do they look like us, but the moves, the mm. way they move. Um, they're they're really really nice yeah. really really nice they're in the same vein as the old hasbro ones the ones I exactly that kind of yeah. like the old hasbros but right. the problem with those i found they're very very cartoon like so they have they've basically taken that what was great about the action figures back then and made them more lifelike like they are now right. i mean they've had some fantastic ones coming out but i i really am quite excited about the bees it's um it's it's yeah, ones you, you you would have had you know i i had all kinds of action figures that weren't wrestling ones acting as ones that I didn't have that weren't out there, you know, and uh, it's great to see some of them actually coming out now and you could, you know, I know I'm a bit old probably to be playing with them, but I've got a shelf or two that they can sit proudly upon. So um, are they, do you know when they're due out at all? Are they still um, in production? I'm actually uh, not a hundred percent sure. I just know that, excuse me. Um, I think uh, we're supposed to see, cause we have to sign off on the uh, final, uh, approval that will be um i think it's at the end of it's the last friday of this month okay. so we will uh, sign off on those um and how long it takes them to go to production mm. and i have no idea when these i think they're right. they're ready to roll so that's cool, that's cool. shouldn't be too much longer Ah, oh, there we go. I'll be I'll be keeping tabs on them, and I know I follow them on social media anyway. So, well, uh, super. Yeah, yeah. So, um, they, going back to the 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 Vice TV series, as well. I forgot to ask earlier on. Again, same kind of question. Any idea when that will be? You know, with us and September, I believe. Oh, awesome! Awesome. There you go. I can't, I cannot wait for that. Cannot wait for that. It's um, I've um. I'm probably gonna I'm gonna have to bring it to an end. You know, fairly soon. I can probably sit here all night talking to you. Brian, yes, this has been an absolute honor. So, it, it's been great, uh, Chris. I appreciate you giving me the time. Thanks for letting me plug my book, oh, Truth okay. Be Told. Um, again, you can get that on Amazon, or you can go to um, <clears throat> you can go to thekillerbees.net, um, and uh, you can also get them, order them there, and get them personalized. Um, I appreciate you letting me bring up the Cauliflower Alley Club. Hey. Cauliflowerallyclub.org. Yeah, uh, no. we do wonders and it's an organization where everybody's welcome to come to the reunion if you're a member and um, okay it's very inexpensive to go uh, yeah it's 150 a person for the whole reunion which includes a couple of great dinners a bunch of entertainment um get to see all the honorees win their awards we've got some tremendous honorees from the rock and roll express i mean wow. uh, uh, just um, uh, Conan. Oh wow! So, okay. Uh, we're gonna have uh, JBL. We have um, uh, Jerry the King Lawler. Um, uh, the list goes on. Kevin That's Sullivan, a... Tommy Wildfire, Rich. Uh, nice. uh, who's, who? who's who? Basically, yes. the best part of wrestling, the best, the best era. This is what I like to celebrate on this show. Is um, 
is is that that time that really you know the 80s 90s guys like you that made it so special for me growing up and, and you know, i appreciate that i appreciate you chris yeah, i appreciate no all the fans thanks for uh writing a nice review on the book for oh uh, no problem and um uh thanks for having this wonderful podcast thank what, you no. i love it thank you no thank you so much for that i've got one final question to finish off on sure. um so if 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 you were to you had a fan who wasn't familiar with who you were um your career if you could pick one match this is a really this is quite a, quite a cruel one if you could pick one match that you feel represents your career and something if someone could watch one brian blair match and that would be you what would mm -hmm. it be which one um in a singles it would be myself and mr wonderful from st louis which is on youtube uh where i'm in the black tights i believe that's when that vince mcmahon came up to us and said it was the best match he had ever seen in his lifetime up until that point i'm sure <laughs> and that was the fans stood the whole time uh that would be uh as far as single matches and as far as a tag match i would say when for saturday night main event um the killer bees versus the heart foundation <clears throat> when we won with mass confusion and uh, even Dick Ebersol, we blew away the Saturday Night Live ratings. We blew away <laughs> all the ratings. We had the highest spot on the whole uh, show that night. We, we beat everybody, Hogan, everybody. Wow. And um, it was just a, it was a tremendous match. And it was because we had four guys that all wanted to, yeah. to give it their all, you know, uh, Jim Neidhart um, mm. and Bret Hart and uh, Jimmy Brunzel and myself, and we just, everybody uh kicked it in and fans were great yeah. fans are there it just makes everything so much they easier. would they would never the fans were never going to lose in that situation where they would have matched like that to be no. fair anytime so no but those are those are two two of cool. right off I'll, I'll dig those out i'll share them on my page if anyone hasn't seen them I'll, I'll okay Chris. There. but uh but brilliant. brian thank you again can't thank you enough for your time this has been such an honor to to welcome you to the show um thank you for everything thanks for the book thanks for the memories and all the best with everything that you've got going on thank you very much chris no you take care god bless you and your audience and thank you keep enjoying wrestling i will thank you Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.